of Alabama caught our attention. Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Hello, Tennessee Valley. This is The Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator Adam Keller, and we are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Today, bosses killed regulations and killed unions. And now, because of that, Black Lung is killing coal miners again. We talked to Kim Kelly about her reporting for In These Times about the rise of Black Lung among coal miners in Appalachia. Bosses are acting up and workers are on the move in the South, as always, and we're going to be talking about that. And we're going to try to get to what's going on between the Republicans and the Alabama Education Association. Adam's going to have some fun with that. All that and more on today's program. If you want to be part of the show today, we've got a phone number. The line is not open right now, unfortunately, but you can send us a text message if you would like. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR. We might respond to it on the air if you want to interact with the program. You can also watch us on YouTube and chat with our listeners, and we might react to uh, some of your commentary in the chat as well. We are known to do that. Uh, We will be opening up the phone lines in overtime, uh, hoping to get some, uh, maybe some more UPS Teamsters calling in, and uh, we're getting close to the deadline already for the big three automakers in the UAW election. That's coming up really quickly. Six weeks, September the 14th. And just like Sean O'Brien did with UPS, Sean Fain is telling the big three automakers that this is a deadline. It's not a reference point. So so coming up to the deadline really quickly on that. So if there are any UAW automakers across the country that are interested in calling in and talking to us about what they're seeing in their union, we would love to hear from you. If you haven't haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap up here on the radio, uh, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, you can find us anywhere you find anything online, uh, particularly at our website, tvlr.fm. You should bookmark that. You should sign up for our newsletter so that we can reach you uh, whenever we put out new content or when we drop new merch like we did a few weeks ago. We have a brand new shirt coming out, uh, the redesigned Join a Union or the Boss Will Get You shirt. You should go to tvlr.fm slash store to pre-order yours. The pre-orders are going to end in the middle of August. So if you want yours, you got to get those order in uh, orders in. We haven't set a firm deadline yet. We'll probably, we'll tell you the deadline next week. Um, but, uh, but it's going to be somewhere in the middle of August. So go ahead and get your orders in if you want them. And we expect them to be at your house sometime in the middle of September. Uh, it's a really cool shirt. Better than our last ones, I think. Uh, better material and uh, the, the the graphic is going to be better. We're really looking forward to it. Of course, as always, with any of our merch, it is 100% 
union-made in America, uh, not going to have it any other way, unlike some, you know, quote-unquote patriots or, or whatever that have all of their merch for their, you know, their American flag merch, their conservative apparel, all made in China by slaves. Not here. Not here, folks. Um, also, if you want to become a sustaining member of the program, make a one-time donation um, uh, or anything like that, you can go to tvlr.fm slash donate. Uh, we could not do it without our listener sponsor, uh, without our listener donors. Uh, we get more money from our listeners than any other sponsor. Uh, so it really does help us out. Even $5 a month, it just, you know, uh, we've gotten another thousand subscribers in the last month on YouTube. If just 1% of those, 100 people, if just 1% of the new subscribers gave us $5 a month, uh, that would be huge. So consider doing that. Even a dollar a month, even a dollar a month, uh, it really does help out the more people that, uh, you know, many hands make light work, as they say. So also, if you're a member of a union, please reach out. Uh, please think about getting your local to sponsor the show. We couldn't do it without our union sponsors. We are very, very happy to have them on board, um, happy to advertise what they're doing, um, both in our ads and on the program when we're able to get them on to talk, uh, to, to interview them, what they're doing in the community uh, and in the country. Really cool. Uh, really, really happy to have all of the people supporting us that do. Uh, and we couldn't do it without, uh, without those financial contributions. Let me add a disclaimer that any viewpoints or opinions expressed in this program belong solely to their author and do not necessarily represent any organization or sponsor. We welcome all of our listeners, whether you're on YouTube, Facebook, Unclaimed Mysteries, Internet Radio, WVNN, WZZA, WHIV, or through your favorite podcast app. We are proud to be part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network and encourage our listeners to check that out. And as most of you know, we are not media professionals, just a few diehard unionists who believe that Alabama and the South labor movement and working class deserve a bigger platform. So we're really hoping this project can make a difference on that front. We think we have, and we could not do it without you. So we want to thank everyone for tuning in, whether you're a loyal fan or you're a first-time listener this morning. We really appreciate you spending some time with us. With that, let's go ahead and jump right into Boss Watch. Every week, we see working people lambasted on the news for petty theft or trespassing or something like this. You see their mugshots on the evening news, but you never see bosses' mugshots, despite the fact that wage theft accounts for more theft than all other property crime combined, despite the fact that you are just as likely to die on the job in Alabama as you are to be murdered, uh, but you don't hear about that, so we try to rectify that every week. And so, uh, with that in mind, let's head down to the state of Florida, where the U.S. Department of Labor found that a Miami excavation contractor with a history of federal workplace safety violations could have prevented the death of a 48-year-old diver who drowned while removing debris in a canal in eight feet of murky water. They could have saved him by having required rescue procedures in place. 
The department's Occupational Safety and Health Administration cited Downright Engineering Corporation for 18 serious violations after its investigation into the January 2023 incident. The agency has proposed $258,000 in penalties. Since 2018, OSHA has cited this company for various safety violations, including in 2019 for failing to provide an injured worker with prompt medical attention and not having medical services and first aid readily available. Specifically in this instance for the January 2023 death, OSHA has determined that the company failed to do the following. They failed to train dive teams in equipment use in techniques and emergency procedures required to perform underwater tasks safely and to make sure all dive team members had CPR training. Imagine, I mean, you have dive teams. This is not just, you know, I'm just walking down the street. That's a dangerous thing, easily. And you're not training them (laughs) in how to use their equipment? They also failed to assess water conditions before diving and require an experienced dive team member to supervise dredging operations in a canal with limited visibility. They also failed to provide workers with a safe practices manual when performing underwater diving and maintain a first aid kit, emergency aid list, resuscitator equipment, and emergency procedures. They also failed to brief workers on basic diving procedures and environmental conditions. They also failed to assess the safety and health aspects of the diving mode, the underwater conditions, or emergency procedures. They also failed to provide employees with safety harnesses to assist an injured diver from the water. They failed to provide a two-way communication system and a marked umbilical cord in 10-foot increments. They failed to provide a non-return valve on the surface-supplied air, and they failed to provide a life jacket. Or, bo- or buoyant work vest and mm. life-saving skip. They also failed to keep air compressor intakes away from areas containing exhaust or contaminants, and they also failed to record equipment modifications, tests, calibrations, or maintenance service. The company has 15 business days from the receipt of these citations and penalties to comply to request an informal conference with OSHA, or to contest the findings before the Independent Occupational Safety and Health Review Commission. Wow. Heading up north to Virginia, the U.S. Department of Labor's Wage and Hour Division found that an employer violated multiple requirements of the H-2A Agricultural Worker Program by failing to do the following. They failed to compensate 55 workers, 50 of whom came from Mexico from for all hours worked. That's also described as theft. They failed to comply with requirements of the agricultural job order. They failed to pay the hourly adverse effect rates of 1315 in 2021 and 1416 in 2022 and 1491 in 2023. They failed to comply with safety and health requirements for housing and and transporting H-2A workers. They failed to request a pre-occupancy inspection of housing in a timely way. And they failed to comply with other applicable federal, state, and local employment-related laws and regulation. The Wage and Hour Division recovered $45,384.00 from the company, they assessed $8,998 in civil penalties for 55 workers uh, 
uh, which were affected, which includes 50 H-2A program workers and five others. The Mount Clifton Fruit Company, LLC, that's the company uh, involved in these allegations, is an agricultural fixed-site employer who specializes in growing and harvesting a variety of apples which are sold retail, direct to consumers, and to processors in the United States. Heading to South Carolina, a federal court has sentenced a South Carolina labor contractor, Balcazar Nature Harvesting LLC, and its operators after a U.S. Department of Labor and multi-agency investigation found that the employer subjected migrant farm workers to exploitative labor, confiscated passports, and housed workers in unsafe and unhealthy conditions. Mm -hmm. The farm labor contractor provided seasonal and H-2A workers in Lexington to harvest fruits and vegetables for distribution and sale at local farmers markets and by national and regional grocery chains such as IGA, Ingalls, and Whole Foods. On June the 15th, 2023, the U.S. District Court for the District of South Carolina sentenced Enrique Balcazar of Batesburg to 40 months in federal prison and three years of court-ordered supervision following his term of imprisonment. The court also ordered him to pay $11,332 in restitution and to forfeit 23 firearms, ammunition, body armor, and more than $32,000 in funds. Wow. He pleaded guilty to labor trafficking and passport confiscation to further labor trafficking in September of 2022. The court also sentenced Enrique's daughter, Elizabeth Balcazar, to time served of two months after pleading guilty to fraud in foreign labor contracting. Also in September 2022, the court ordered her to pay $508,125 in restitution for unpaid wages owed to 55 workers, again, also known as theft and subjected her to three years of court-ordered supervision, a one-year uh, one year of curfew, and 100 hours of community service to benefit the immigrant community. In addition, the court also ordered Balcazar Nature Harvesting LLC to pay jointly and severally $508,125 in restitution to 55 affected workers and forfeit more than $32,000 in business funds. The business is also subjected to three years of probation. The court's action follows an investigation by the department's Wage and Hour Division that found Balcazar, operating as Balcazar Nature Harvesting, violated multiple agreements, uh, multiple requirements of the H-2A Temporary Agricultural Workers Visa Program and the Migrant Safety, a Migrant and Seasonal Agricultural Work, Worker Protection Act and the Fair Labor Standards Act. Specifically, the division determined that Balcazar violated federal laws by not meeting job orders requirements by omitting terms and conditions, including additional work sites, by intimidating and discriminating against workers with threats to call immigration services if workers left their jobs. The employer also withheld some workers' passports and visas. The employer failed to pay workers based on the adverse effect wage rate and making them work for more hours than the job order stated. They also failed to require workers to purchase gloves and knives needed for their tasks. They failed to reimburse workers for inbound and outbound transportation to and from the place of residence, and the employer failed to reimburse workers for their visa costs of $190 each. 
They failed to meet the three-quarters guarantee for work hours because workers left the jobs due to, de- uh, due to exploitation, and the employer also paid seasonal workers less than H-2A workers for the same work. They charged workers $100 per week for meals, which is a cost not disclosed in the job contract, and they failed to provide housing that met safety and health requirements. Wow. Just really despicable stuff there. Yeah. Uh, Let's head to the home state of Alabama, where the U.S. Department of Labor investigators found that Central Restaurant, a Montgomery fine dining establishment. Oh, yeah. I'm familiar with Central. I've eaten there before. Yeah. They failed to pay some tipped employees the full minimum wage for time that exceeded a period of 30 consecutive minutes performing general preparation work work or non-tip producing activities, which is a violation of the Fair Labor Standards Act. By doing so, the employer lost its ability to claim a tip credit for the time spent doing non-tipped duties, obligating them to pay their employees the full minimum wage of $7.25 an hour. Investigators also learned that the employer paid some workers overtime at rates lower than required by law. In addition, Central Restaurant allowed two 15-year-old employees to work after 7 p.m. on a school night, more than three hours in a day, and more than 18 hours in a week which are all violations of the child labor provisions of the Fair Labor Standards Act. The back wages and liquidated damages owed to workers are $21,146 to 23 employees, and they assessed $1,582 to address the child labor violations. Heading over to Texas, an El Paso home health care and hospice provider expected employees to work long days to care for people in need, but failed to pay 133 of its employees the overtime wages that they earned, the U.S. Department of Labor has found. The investigation by the department's wage and hour division led to the recovery of $501,211 in overtime and liquidated damages from San Lorenzo Adult Provider and Pediatrics for the affected workers. The division determined that the employer paid the affected workers affected em, uh the division determined that the employer paid the affected employees straight time for all hours worked instead of paying time and a half which is required by law. Finally, we have a uh, broad update in the coal mining sector where the U.S. Department of Labor announced on the 31st of July that impact inspections completed by its Mine and Safety and Health Administration at 18 mines in 12 states in June of 2023 led the agency to issue 242 violations. The agency began doing impact inspections after the deaths of 29 miners in an explosion at the Upper Big Branch Mine in April of 2010, one of the deadliest in U.S. history. To date, IMSHA's impact inspections in 2023 have identified 1,435 violations, including 411 significant and substantial violations and 22 unwarrantable failure findings. An S, uh, a significant and substantial violation is reasonably likely to cause a reasonably serious injury or illness, and violations designated as unwarrantable failures occur when an inspector finds aggravated conduct that constitutes more than ordinary negligence. The agency conducts these impact inspections at mines that merit increased agency attention and enforcement due to poor compliance history, previous accidents, injuries, and illnesses, and other 
uh, compliance concerns. Among the 242 violations that MSHA issued in June, the agency evaluated 71 as uh, substantial and serious and found four to have unwarrantable failure findings. The inspections included mines in Alabama, Illinois, Kentucky, Michigan, Missouri, New York, North Dakota, Pennsylvania, Texas, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Two of the inspections in June provide examples of some of the hazards that miners face. So, for example, on June the 6th, MSHA conducted an impact inspection at Kentucky Fuel Corporation's WV3 surface mine in Logan County, West Virginia, due to enforcement history and receiving hazardous condition complaints. MSHA issued 42 violations to the mine operator, including 17 uh, substantial and serious and three unwarrantable failure findings, including an unwarrantable failure order for aggravated conduct for failing to maintain effective dust control measures on a drill. That's important because drill operators face heightened risk of exposure due to respirable crystalline silica. We're going to be talking about that more in a bit, which is a carcinogen far more toxic than coal dust alone. Exposure to unhealthy levels of silica can lead to debilitating and deadly work-related illnesses such as silicosis, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, and progressive massive fibrosis. On June 30th, 2023, MSHA announced proposed amendments to the current federal standards to better protect the nation's miners from health hazards related to exposure to silica dust in June 2022. and uh, finally, the last example is at, in San Antonio, Texas, MSHA issued Superior Silica Sands LLC uh, 31 violations, including unsafe electrical equipment and cables, inadequate workplace conditions, exposed moving machine parts, slip, trip, and fall hazards, and inadequate training. They also uh, received a citation for allowing truck drivers to operate vehicles at uh, near high-voltage power lines. Three industry workers have suffered fatal injuries in 2023 when their mobile equipment made contact with overhead power lines, which led to led MSHA to issue electrical safety alerts to raise awareness. Uh, and so, we're going to wrap up Boss Watch this week by uh, by alerting bosses to the fact that the U.S. Department of Labor and its partners from the Interagency Task Force to Combat Child Labor Exploitation announced on July the 27th its recent actions to hold companies accountable for violating child labor laws. So the U.S. Department of Labor is really ramping up child labor law enforcement uh, by, in part, collaborating more, uh, collaborating more and more seriously with the Departments of Agriculture, Commerce, Education, Health and Human Services, Homeland Security, Justice, and State. Uh, so that's all really, really important stuff. And for the non-ghouls in the audience, if you are not somebody that is potentially at risk of violating child labor laws, but you want to know how to report people that you think might be, the Department of Labor is holding a webinar um, to tell people about whistleblower protections that exist. Um, and we created a handy short URL to go to that webinar. You can go to tvlr.fm slash child labor if you're interested in attending that webinar and learn and learning what whistleblower protections there are for child labor laws. With that, we're going to head to a break, and we're going to be right back with Kim Kelly. We're going to talk about the rise of black lung and uh, what the government is doing about it. Stay tuned. In Alabama, more than 200,000 of our friends and family members are living without health care coverage. 
Often folks can't stay healthy enough even to keep their jobs. We can fix this. It's time for us to find a way to close the health care coverage gap so that people can remain at work. Let's make this a priority. Let's close this gap and cover Alabama. To learn more and how you can help, visit CoverAlabama.org. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. Attention union members, membership organizations, podcasters, or anyone with a payment processing need. The future is here, and your organization needs to be prepared by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees, giving you a better price than other payment processing methods, while at the same time supporting a union-friendly business with a specialized skill set to meet your needs. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. Start preparing for the future today by calling 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. Are you looking for a better future, a career that can have you set for life, and to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself? If you are, then consider a skilled trades apprenticeship with the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. The work of IUPAT is all around us, from the industrial painters who work on the bridges to drywall finishers, floor coverers, the glazers who install the glass in our skylines, and so much more. With an IUPAT apprenticeship, you earn while you learn and receive benefits while learning the trade, including a pension. We provide world-class education free of charge. That's right, no student debt. Our starting salaries for apprentices that graduate is above the national median salary with benefits for entire families. And you have the flexibility to take your trade wherever you'd like in the country to work. IUPAT District Council 77 covers our entire region, so give Adam Booth a call at 205-603-3142 for more information. Again, that phone number is 205-603-3142. Come build a better future with us today and join IUPAC. The sign hit the city like a bolt of lightning. You know the photo. It's iconic. Marches in the streets holding a simple sign with a simple message. I am a man. The I Am Story podcast explores the fight that inspired those words. How a group of sanitation workers in Memphis stood up and made history. They don't see us as men and women. Go to IamStory.com or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe. I'm attorney Tommy Senior. When you've been injured and need help, you need a lawyer who's with you. Senior Law. You need attorneys always available to take care of you. Senior Law. And keep you in the loop. It's your case. You need to know what's happening. Senior Law. And never a charge to meet with us to evaluate your case. Senior Law. A new firm, but an old name. One that will stay with you every step of the way. Senior Law. 
the name with proven results. Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at IAMAW44.org. Come on, you poor workers, good news to you, I'll tell how the good old union has come in here to dwell. Labor creates all wealth. All wealth should go to labor. Listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co host Adam Keller, and we're broadcasting from the Spice Radio studios in Huntsville, Alabama, online and on the radio. Thanks for listening, folks. Uh, if you want to send us a text message, the phone number is 844-899-TVLR. We appreciate everybody hanging out with us in the chat. Uh, some uh, regular listeners and infinite content. Uh, asks, did you see where DeSantis was talking about, quote, slitting the throats, unquote, of federal government employees uh, last week? Yes, I did, in fact. The president of my union, the American Federation of Government Employees, Reverend Everett Kelly of Alabama, uh, responded to that in a statement, uh, obviously condemning it. It's crazy. He was talking, uh, he was like, on day one, we're going to slit the throats of the deep state. And, of course, that does not just mean (laughs) the baddies, right? That's everybody working for the government. Uh, So, especially at organization, at at agencies like what we were just talking about in Boss Watch. The people that are tasked with enforcing the law, enforcing laws that apply to bosses, those are the people that he's going to come after. OSHA, MSHA. The right. Department of Labor, Wage and Hour Division, the NLRB, anybody at the FBI or the CIA who is not totally beholden to whoever happens to be in office at the time. Really bad stuff. Bad stuff. Let's go ahead and get to our guest, though. Uh, Kim Kelly. Kim Kelly is a freelance labor reporter and author of Fight Like Hell, The Untold History of American Labor, now out in paperback. And uh, what is it when you are, what's it called when you sell merch? A a retail saleswoman now. She has a new shirt out that I have bought two of. (laughs) I bought a medium and a large just in case I gain any weight. Look at this. Look at how cool that is. (laughs) Wow. I dig it. I dig it. Yeah. So uh, buy that, people. Go to her Twitter page, uh, Grim Kim, and buy it. It's really good. And it's union made, obviously. Kim. Obviously. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining us. Uh Uh-oh. Are you muted? I was muted, but now I'm not. Are we good? You're good. Yes. It's a little early for me. I'm a night owl, so I'm doing my best out here. Yes, and I appreciate you waking up early at 10.45 a.m. your time. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty embarrassing when you put it like that. <laughs> yeah, well, so um, you have written an investigative piece for In These Times magazine about the rise of black lung among uh, particularly Appalachia's coal miners, um, and and that is um, 
you know, we're going to contrast that later on in the conversation to uh, Alabama's coal miners who have not seen a, seen a similar rise, which is interesting, and we'll talk about why that is. Um, but it's a very, very powerful piece. Um, it is called The Young Miners Dying of an Old Man's Disease. So Google that and read it. It is uh, I mean, really, you can tell a lot of work went into this. There's a lot of uh, a lot of interviews, a lot of personal testimonies, data, um, what the government is doing. You know, I really do not cry often uh, when I read, and and it and I cried when I read this. Um, part of it could have been that I had I I got up that morning at two forty five a.m. to get on a flight. Uh, and I was reading it on the plane, but but it's also a very powerful piece, and I really recommend people read it um, uh, because it, the the through line is that, or, or the the emphasis that that, that we're going to have is that they don't have to die. There's absolutely no reason for these people to be dying of black lung, and they are because of corporate greed. And so, uh, Kim, let's start first with with what. Uh, what was it that kind of that, that made you want to write this piece? Sure. I know it, I guess for people that don't follow your show and follow what I get up to, it might be, oh, some random tattooed broad from Jersey is going down to West Virginia to write about black lung. That doesn't necessarily uh, seem like a, a natural fit, but, you know, I've been writing about coal miners for the past two and a half years now. Uh, starting with the Warrior Med coal miner strike in Brookwood, Alabama, which is still not entirely resolved. There's still stuff going on with that. But once you start covering coal miners, you start meeting a lot of coal miners and especially older folks and folks with a lot of experience. And that's a great way to meet people who are suffering from black lung. And actually, what really made me want to start digging into this was two things. First, I was talking to my friend Chuck, who is the VP of District 2, which covers Pennsylvania and a couple other regions. He's only a couple of years older than me. I'm 35. And it had just kind of come up that the black lung thing. And I was speaking about it as if it had happened in the past. And he was saying, well, you know, I mean, it's younger guys now, too. Like, I'm, you know, I haven't gotten tested, but I know I'm not breathing as well as I used to. And that kind of stuck with me, like, oh, so my buddy... I'm like, I think at that point we were sitting in the pool drinking daiquiris. He was telling me how he might have black lung. And that was just the, that just totally jumbled my brain up. I was like, that doesn't seem okay. That seems like something people should know about because if someone like him is dealing with this and he's on top of everything, he's super knowledgeable about safety. Like if he's feeling like this, who else might be dealing with this situation? And also on a more, I guess the sort of personal angle that kind of fueled me, really wanted to dig into it. I was talking at another UMWA event, I was talking to my friend Danny, who is, he's in his 60s, he's an older fellow. He, he's wonderful, he's from Mingo County, uh, West Virginia. And he was telling me about when he got diagnosed with black lung in the year that I was born. And I was like, man, your whole life you've been dealing with this. And I started telling him about my granddad who died from mesothelioma a couple of years ago. Uh, he worked in a steel mill and breathed in all that asbestos and it got into his lungs and it took him out before any of us were ready. And Danny said, oh, we call that, uh, we call that white lung. And I was just struck again, like, oh, this is all, it's all so much more connected and all so much more, it's all so much closer than I had ever really anticipated. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to look into this. I'm going to 
you know, I applied for a grant from In These Times to, to be able to go down and really dig into it. It took me probably six months to get the story finished. And uh, yeah, then it ended up, it came out as the cover in May. It's still living online. And it's, it's had a pretty good, I guess it's got a pretty good reaction. I mean, <laughs> people telling me how heartbreaking it is um, because it is. You know, yeah. I, if you if you thought you got choked up reading it, like working on it for months and months, my heart has just been shattered into yeah. little pieces by now. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I really know. couldn't imagine. And it's so and, and like I said, the you know, it, it's not like it would be better if the deaths were necessary in some way. But it does seem like it, it, it's it's made worse by the fact that it's there's just no reason for it. We got the rates looking at, I'm looking at this graph that you have in, in your article and we got the rates down in like 1998 to uh, less than 5% of all minors were diagnosed with black lung, less than one in 20. And the majority of those were minors that had 25 years or more. Now, there are just as many minors who have, it looks like from this graph, there's just as many minors who've only been in the mines 10 to 14 years that have black lung, that have been diagnosed with black lung, as 25-year veterans, uh, as 25-year veterans were diagnosed with black lung in the 90s. And for those veterans, too, uh, 10 years ago, one in 30 like veteran coal miners who've been in there for, for 20 years or more were diagnosed with black lung. Right now it's one in eight. Mm. That's a huge jump in 10 years. And also when we talk about, you know, spending 20 years in the mines, for most people that sounds like an entire career. 20 years is a long time. But if you're 17, 18 years old and you go straight from high school into working in the mine, 20 years later, you're not that much older than me. Yeah, you know, I, right. it's, it's just really jarring. And even younger, younger people, like I say, you know, we, it's predominantly men, but you know, younger people, uh, I know at least two guys who are in their early thirties. There's a guy I know who's 32, who's waiting for a lung transplant mm. because he's worked in the mines. Like it's, uh, it's just so devastating. And when I spoke to, um, I spoke to, you know, health experts, people have been tracking this, people at NIOSH for years. And I think the word that one of the, the people at NIOSH I spoke to said it was, to describe the jump was uh, unbelievable. And when you have a health expert saying it is unbelievable that it's gotten this bad, that really makes you sort of sit back for a moment and think, oh boy, like this is a, this is a problem. Right. Absolutely. And that's, and that's so important to emphasize too about the, you know, 20 years if you started at 18, which is, you know, I mean, that's not uncommon for, you know, if, if you're going to be a coal miner, you probably know that that's what you want to do through high school. You're not going to go to college. Uh, and so you're going to start, you're going to go down into the mines at 18, the 17, 18, 19. And so a 20 year career puts you at, at 38. Um, and the idea that you're going to, you know, you have a 10% chance <laughs> at 38 years old of having black lung which is not curable by the way can can you t tell us about tell us about the effects of black lung what does it do 
when you get it. God, it's so awful. And when we say black lung, that's the the more colloquial term for a disease called co-workers pneumoconiosis. And basically what happens is you breathe in this material for a very long time, it was coal dust. And now silica is really the biggest culprit to what's fueling this, this current rise because it's 20 times more toxic than coal dust. And coal dust ain't great. You know, it's not a great thing to have in your lungs to start with. But you breathe it in, it builds up and it builds up and you get these nodules, like these hard fibrous nodules that grow in your lungs. And, you know, we've seen, or if you Google black lung, you can see the difference between a healthy lung and a lung with black lung, like they do turn black and you lose your capability to breathe. Like there's, uh, there's like this iconic image of the old coal miner dragging around an oxygen tank. That's because they can't breathe anymore. Mm. You know, you basically smother to death, like loss of breath, loss of ability to, to walk around, loss of, just think of all the things you need to be able to breathe to do, which is everything. And just having that reduced lung capacity. And there's, you know, there's other uh, like comorbidities come along with it. Uh, some of the younger folks that I talked to for this article, what, uh, what's happening now with this current wave, it's we're seeing younger folks also experience the most progressive form of the disease, like the most severe form of the mm-hmm. disease. And with that also comes a heightened risk of heart problems. Like, uh, for example, a condition called core pulmonale, which enlarges the right ventricle in your chest and they, the organs just kind of crush on each mm-hmm. other. And it's not, it's not good for you. It doesn't work out so good. And essentially, it's just the way Danny described it, seeing a coal miner die from black lung was like putting a fish on a table and watching him smother to death. Mm. It's just horrific. And, and there's, and there's no cure for it. No, there's no cure. That's the thing. It's a progressive disease. Like once it's in there, it's, there's not really much you can do about it, except try to, you know, live healthy and make sure you know where to get an oxygen tank. Like it's, it's a death sentence essentially. And I think the data, like the number I got was that a diagnosis of black lung shortened your life by at least 12 years. And yeah, if you're younger, like uh, John Moore, the 42 year old that I profiled is kind of the main person for this article. He's 42 and he has three kids and he has so much life, so much living left to do, but he's already having to plan out, you know, I guess, I should look into building a ramp for my for my house so I so once I stop being able to walk up the steps, I'll still be able to get home. Like that's mm. what he's thinking about now instead of, you know, being excited about grandkids someday or thinking about his youngest going to high school. Right. It's just the fact that younger people, younger workers are experiencing this at such a heightened rate. It's just stealing so much more of their lives. And it's sad when anybody gets sick. It's sad when a 75-year-old coal miner gets black lung. But when you're 32, right. when you find out, you know, you're you're going to die and it's going to be ugly, just mm. the weight of that is just so crushing to think about. And, I, you know, I mean, I, you know, it's going to, this is something that's going to kill you at some point, um, and, unless something else gets you before that. But then even in, in the interim, it, it makes your life worse 
Right. I mean, you know, uh, and that's that's intuitive. If if it's harder for you to breathe, it's harder. It's hard for you to do anything. I talked to a, a fella that you know that that I went to church with for a long time, and and he didn't have black lung. He had COPD, I think. Mm. And and you know, I mean, he couldn't even take his trash can to the road. Right. This is you know, and 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 so the idea that that <laughs> you're gonna have you would have that limited mobility for you know an extended period of time that obviously cuts down on your quality of life it's going to make it difficult you know to play catch with your kids right to practice with practice basketball with them or something like that um but also it's going to make it that much more difficult to kind of be healthy you know if you can't if you can't go out and exercise because you're going to have some like an asthma attack or something then it, it, that makes it that much more but then not being healthy increases your comorbidities and everything. I mean, it, it really is just the worst kind of thing to happen to a person. Right. And if you can't breathe, you can't work mm -hmm. and you can't provide for your family in that way. And that is just an extra dimension that is just, just even more terrible because if you're, especially because we know coal miners, they're very proud people. They're mm -hmm. very, you know, those that who are men are very, proud of being masculine blue collar like i'm a coal miner that means right. something culturally personally emotionally and when you take that away from someone when they've had that their whole life and all of a sudden they need an oxygen tank or they need a wheelchair or they just can't they have to depend on their partner or their wife to bring in the groceries that does something to a person right. like just think about your it, it shakes your whole self-perception and also who's going to pay the bills you know, the black lung benefits, even if, and there's such a, like, this is a whole other thing. You know, if you're, if folks listening have time, you should really read Chris Hamby's uh, Soul Full of Coal Dust. It's a great book that came out a couple of years ago, and it really dives into just the absolute Byzantine horror of the, the red tape and the bureaucracy and all the roadblocks that miners with black lung experience trying to get black lung benefits to which they are entitled. Mm. It's so hard to get those benefits. And then when you get them, I think the cap right now for a person with three or more dependents is about 1700 bucks a month. Mm. And that is nothing, even in, you know, even in a place where costs are lower, 1700 bucks, that's like rent, a couple bills, maybe a couple grocery shops, and then what's left over, that's no way to live. And if you have fewer dependents, it goes down and down and down, like you can't live off of it. If you can't live off of the black lung benefits, if you're able to even get them and you can't work, what are you supposed to do? Right. 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 And then, yeah, I, 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 it's all around. It, it, it's a terrible thing to happen. And, and we've been saying that this doesn't have to happen, but why is it happening? <laughs> well, there's two, there's a geological answer and then there's a, political capitalist answer, right? So in, in the most uh, neutral terms, the reason that folks are getting sicker quicker right now is in the, the Appalachian coal seam, we've been, we've been busy down there for centuries, right? Like the seam, it's, it's thinned out. And now in order to get to the coal that, you know, that the miners want, that their employers want, they have to go through more and more layers of rock and quartz and sandstone. And what is in those layers of rock? Silica. S 
silica is the biggest problem because when you breathe that in, like I mentioned before, it is 20 times more toxic than coal dust. It's like breathing in ground up glass, essentially. It is very bad for you. And workers in other industries know, they, they know this, like people in construction, they've been dealing with silicosis for years. They know this is an issue. NIOSH and OSHA, all these, all these government acronyms, like we've known for a very long time that this is very bad for you. Uh, and yet coal miners have been legally allowed to ingest twice as much of this substance as any other worker in the country. We, we'll get into the regulations in a minute, but essentially they're breathing in poison because of what, because of the condition of the mines. And it doesn't, like we keep emphasizing, it doesn't need to be like that because we know how to prevent it. We have, we know about engineering controls and ventilation plans and good PPE and all of these different very doable mechanisms by which you can make the mine safer. You can cut down on the, the dust. You can protect the workers on the job. We know how to do that, but that takes a little bit of time. It takes, you know, you got to move a little tiny bit slower to make sure everything is in place, everything as it should be. You know, maybe it costs a little bit of money to fit things out the right way. And those conditions are what coal mine bosses do not want. They don't want to slow down. They don't want to spend money on worker safety. They want to make a profit. They want to get that coal out of the ground and that money into their pockets. And anything that gets in the way of that one single-minded goal is something that they are not interested in. You know, and then I, I, some of the, one of the miners I spoke to did say, you know, some, some coal mine operators, like they're, they're pretty good about that because mm -hmm. perhaps they realize that you cannot get anything done without workers. And then if, if your workers are getting sick and having to leave, then that's not really great for your bottom line, but right. it's very much an ongoing issue with, with these coal operators that try and skirt the rules. They try to get around regulations. They try and send in, you know, when MSHA, the Mine Safety and Health Administration, they send in inspectors or they collect samples of the amount of dust in the air. There are ways to fudge that. There are ways to give them inaccurate readings. There, there's always a way to get around doing what you're supposed to do. And it really seems like even though they know this is a problem, the miners know this is a problem, it's at the very least in, this, in these communities, in this context, we know black lung is a problem. Uh, it really seems like these employers just don't really care, or at least don't care enough to alter their current business plan. And that's because they're greedy and they want to make money. And they, it just makes me think of this, this centuries old statement. I'll, I'll just to paraphrase a coal boss in, in 19 or 18, Dickety, whatever, saying, you know, it seems that like, if it seems like we treat the mules better than the men, you know, you have to buy a mule. You can always get another man. And it seems like that mentality has not shifted that much since the 1800s. The, um, you know, you, you said that, that it's not only do these coal companies, like, they don't want to do these extra safety measures because it costs money, but they're fighting attempts to make them do these, uh, uh, to make them abide by stricter safety regulations, aren't they? Oh my gosh, for years. So for years, 
uh, like I mentioned, Nash and all the various Ashes, they've known mm. Silica's a problem. Silica's bad for you. We should limit this. We should have some kind of federal rule limiting the amount of silica that workers can be, that coal miners can be exposed to on the job. And the first real push that we saw on a federal level to implement, you know, a better silica standard, a better dust standard to really kind of combat this was in uh, like 2014 during the Obama administration when they were trying to push through, which even I think is still a fairly conservative rule. They're trying to push it through and they got sued by all these coal mine operators like Bob Murray and all of these, all of these, these coal bosses like, oh, no, 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 no. We don't want that. We don't, don't, don't do that. We don't want more regulations. We don't want more of an onus on us to actually act like human beings. And it's really, it's slowed down the process to the point where we're just now, thankfully, hopefully at a point where we're gonna get uh, a revised silica rule in the, in the coming months. But there's all of this, this wasted time and the coal bosses were trying to, to stop it. Uh, the entire Trump administration was just like a wash for worker safety and for coal miner safety specifically. Um, one thing that really stood out when I was reporting this piece, it came out after talking to um, one of the MWA's governmental affairs people, he was saying, you know, during the Trump administration, they they picked a former coal executive to head EMSA, and he spent all of his time trying to cut regulations. So that took us back. And in those, well, it's only four years, but how many people got sick in those four years? How many people have gotten sick since 2014? We're only now at a point where we have new leadership at MSHA, who is a West Virginia boy who mm-hmm. actually cares. Chris right. Williamson, his granddad was a coal miner. He he and his, you know, the folks that work with him have been pushing for this new silica standard rule that would lower the amount to which workers in coal mines can be exposed. They would cut it in half, and which would bring them in line with every other worker in the country. They would right. stop being the exception. And um, even now, we're in this public comment portion. I had to learn a bunch about rulemaking and policy, all this stuff, just to follow uh, the progression of this rule. And right now, we're in the public comment period. I'm going to a hearing in West Virginia next week to hear what folks have to say. Even now, there is, and I've, I've seen it on the in the public comments, a concentrated effort by coal executives, coal bosses, pro, pro-coal types to try and delay the regulation. They've sent in all of these public comments, and they're, a bunch of them are identical. They're like clearly copy and pasted. Like even now, with all of the science, with all of the evidence, with all of these people suffering, they are still trying to get around the implementation of a rule that would save those folks. They're still trying to get around being made to do the right thing. And it's really just, God, how do you sleep at night, honestly? Yeah, exactly. It's so reprehensible. Uh, Yeah, I just don't don't see how you, you, you can live with yourself knowing that you've placed greed above people's lives, like in such a real way. It's, yeah, it's disgusting. And, you know, I mean, and this is one of those areas where, you know, there there are people that, that I think really kind of get a kick out of saying that there's absolutely no difference or even, even that somehow, you know, the Democrats are, are actually worse than Republicans. Uh, but, you know, I mean, there there are differences, and and this is a big difference. The Obama administration 
for all of its faults, was moving towards a new silica standard to bring coal mines in line with every other workplace in the country um, regarding this. And and when Trump came in, like you said, he appointed a coal executive. And not only did they squash that rule, that new rule, but they tried to roll back some other regulations protecting coal miners. And, and you know, and, and, and people died and are going to die because of that. Yeah, it's just... But that was something that was, yeah, it was interesting to see because I'm, you know, we're politically in a pretty similar place. Mm-hmm. And, but just seeing that very real evidence of, oh, it actually, when it comes to these government agencies that most people right. don't even know, who knows what goes on in there? I don't, I right. didn't until I started researching this. <laughs> then seeing just such a stark difference, it's like, wow, this, you know, you, you think conceptually, yeah, this stuff probably matters, but just thinking about, between 2014 and 2023, that is a big chunk of time. There's like how many lives have been destroyed because there was the wrong person in office or the wrong per- person was hired by whoever's in office right. or there's the wrong agenda in place. But that is one thing about the the whole uh, like Trump's messaging around, oh, we care about coal miners. I love coal mm-hmm. miners. Like, Okay, that's a whole other thing to get into at some other point in time that we, we don't have all day. But this is just a very simple and very obvious example of that being BS. You know, right. if you wanted, if you want to preserve coal jobs, if you want to make jobs better and conditions better for those workers, maybe do what you can do to make sure they're not breathing in poison. Right. That's a pretty low bar. But when you had the opportunity and the choice to either continue with what the Obama administration was trying to do or do it your own way. Sure. Who cares? Who cares who does it as long as it gets done, but actively deciding against it, like, Oh, I don't care. I'm just going to bring in a person who he, he, uh, he described his mission as getting rid of quote unquote burdensome regulations on the operators. It just shows just how hollow it all is. Like if you can't you if you are the most powerful person in the world and you don't use even a moment of that power to help prevent coal miners in Appalachia from dying an early death, like what is what are you even doing? What is the point? Like how dare you even say their names, say the name of their profession if that's what you're gonna do with your time and power. Right. And the um and and so Something that I noticed in your piece that that was really interesting to me is that the you know this is happening in Appalachia, um, and and but not so much in mines outside of Appalachia, um, and there are a couple of differences in the Appalachian mines and non-Appalachian mines, and one of them is that broadly speaking, the non-Appalachian mines are newer. And so, you know, like you said, there's the the coal is is kind of fresher. It's there's more of it there near, you know, in in, in uh, higher density, uh, whereas in, in Appalachia, there, those mines have been there for, you know, forever. And and they're really kind of scraping the bottom of, of the barrel, so to speak, with with the coal there. Um, but also uh, non-Appalachian mines are much more highly unionized talk to us about the what do you think the breakdown is of the difference like how much of how how much of the lack of black lung 
do you think can be attributed to the high unionization rates uh, in coal mines in Alabama, for instance? I think it is such a big difference. I think it's so important. I mean, when I, I called, um, I talked to a person who works at the only black women clinic in Alabama, which is actually in Birmingham. I asked her, you know, what, who's the youngest person you've seen come in here? Because I'm looking into younger folks dealing with this. Mm. And she thought about it. She said, mm, I think the youngest I've seen is maybe in their 50s. And that's still younger than it should be, but it's not 32. You know, that's right. a pretty stark difference. And the fact that Alabama's mines are so heavily unionized, that means that there is somebody watching. There are mine right. safety committees. There is someone who has these workers back. You know, there is... Um, so the Mine Safety Act of like the 1969 and then updated in 1977, that is full, like that is what created MSHA. That is the implementation of that is what led to that massive, you know, drop in black lung cases because, you know, it did something about it. Um, oh gosh, I was in the middle of saying, oh yeah. So the Mine Safety Act, it does have, uh, you think I would have this down by now. I've been thinking about it for two years, but um, it's early. But uh, yeah, early. there are a lot of- <laughs> At 11.30 now, oh, okay. Look, you've stayed up late with me before. You know how I do. That's, but, that's true. <laughs> uh, all of that to say. So the, the Mine Safety Act, it provides a lot of very strong protections for coal miners. Like that is that is not a flimsy piece of legislation. Right. And one of the programs it uh, implemented that it allows for is something called Part 90, 90. Mm -hmm. And essentially that, if a worker wants to invoke Part 90, that means that they have the legal right to be moved. If they've been diagnosed with this illness, they can be moved to a safer part of the mine where there's less dust, where there's less physical activity needed. They can be moved to a safer job and they cannot be penalized. Their pay can't be docked. Their seniority can't be messed with. Like they can, they have the right to a safer job. And on paper, that sounds great. Like, oh, everybody should do that. Right. But the thing is not everyone feels like they can, because mm -hmm. if you're not working in a union mine, you're on your own. And you speak up to your boss, hey, hey, boss, I want to take advantage of this, or hey, I'm interested in this. Mm -hmm. What's to stop them from just firing your butt, or not following the rules, or just ignoring you? Or if you go over there, who's to say you won't be retaliated against? It's just not having the power of a union, the power of your your coworkers, and the power of oversight. Like there, it's so much less likely that folks are going to take advantage of that program. For example, like it, the the rates are very low in um i'm trying to think in, uh, in west virginia i think and this is going to sound fake but from the best of my recollection i think uh sam petzonk the lawyer i spoke to for this piece he was saying he was happy they were up to maybe about between eight and 12 miners in west virginia had taken advantage of part 90 mm. and that is so so low Right. It's just either the workers don't know about this because, again, if your union isn't there to offer education and help and resources, how are you going to know unless you're just reading the Mine Act for fun? Like, there's just so much. There, obviously, we know there are so many benefits to have a union in any workplace, but in this specific instance, with, and when it's a choice of either being completely on your own, dealing with a debilitating disease and an employer that doesn't literally doesn't care whether you live or die or dealing with all of that 
with the power of a union, with the help and support and resources that a union brings, I mean, it just goes to show how important that really can be. Like a union can be life and death. And I'm really thankful that the miners in Alabama do have a union and do have the ability to get help if they need it. And, you know, it's the Alabama is technically like part of the, you know, the Appalachians go down in there. Like, but most of the mines in Alabama, I, most of the mines in Alabama, I think are, are in the black belt, right? I'm not, are there any, maybe there are, are there mines in North Alabama? Oh, no. I feel like that's maybe I'm I'm punching above my pay grade right now, but maybe that's like a clumsy example. But just just thinking about, it, just going back to the idea of it doesn't have to be like this, right? If miners in Alabama aren't dealing with this, there's no reason that their brothers and siblings a few states up should be. Right. Right. Absolutely. So the um, and and I I think that that is is such an important point to emphasize because you know where we where we can of course we want government regulation and and government regulation obviously saves lives um and so where we can utilize state power to protect workers we want to do that um and we're not opposed to that and and it's it's good where that happens but we've seen you know this this new silica rule has been in the in the works for what i mean almost you know the it it was initially um, put forward, what, probably almost 10 years ago? And and like like we said, so many people have died. So many people are going to be killed by the, the lack of movement here. And so in the interim, coal miners need unions. Uh, and, and in the interim and then, and then even afterwards, even after that law is passed, because you've just talked about how even the laws that do exist are kind of flimsy. But... You know, coal miners and everybody that need unions so that they they can protect themselves um, and they can have the power to, to make sure that they're going to be able to, to stay safe and keep their brothers and sisters safe when the government <laughs> isn't going to be able to do it for them. Um, and, and so that, you know, I, I really appreciated seeing that in the piece. And so, you know, after that piece has come out, there has been some movement Um I don't, you know, uh, I know that there's been a lot of work, like you cite in the piece uh, before it. Um, so, you know, but I'm sure that this piece was was part of, you know, lighting a fire under some people. And so after this piece came out, uh, Imsha did release a new silica rule. And you have been talking to uh, you. You went to D.C. to uh, talk to lawmakers about this issue. And so what uh, what moves is the federal government making and how? Um, and, and, and how do you feel about the prospects of, of something being done here? Right. So MSHA, they've been, this has been kind of their signature issue for, well, since, uh, Assistant Secretary Chris Williamson got sworn in, I think it's only been about a year. Um, he's made this kind of his signature issue besides pushing for the rule. They also launched a silica enforcement initiative that essentially means that when, um, like re repeat offenders, uh, mines, mine operators who have been skirting the rules or sent back bad samples or like they've found to be in violation of various regulations. Like there's a little bit more teeth in there. There, There's a bunch of different, I'd have to go back and like go through it. So it's been a little while since I've written about it, but so MSHA is trying to go a little bit harder 
on the bad guys essentially so shout out to them for that they've launched a, a new app that has safe that has safety and health info like they've been I, th- I feel like they've been doing as much as they can for underfunded understaffed federal agency <laughs> Right. which you know that's there's only so much you can do but it, it does seem very clear this is a priority but right. when i went down there to dc i spoke i actually got a lot of meetings i was not anticipating that because i'd never well i'd never really tried to do that before i i try to avoid the federal government at all costs really but <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to things like this it turns out they can be a little bit helpful um i spoke to staffers for senator john fetterman He's my guy in Pennsylvania, uh, Senator Bernie Sanders, Senator Joe Manchin, which is interesting, and uh, Representative Summer Lee, who's also from PA, and Representative Ro Khanna from mm. California, because he's one of those people that's been like fairly outspoken about workers. And I got to speak to staffers for all of them. I actually sat down with Representative or Congressman Khanna, and mm. that was pretty interesting. He didn't uh, he, you know, this isn't his uh, his wheelhouse per se, right. but he was very receptive to listening about it, and he seemed pretty horrified by it. And he said, you know, if there's any kind of legislation, or you want me to sponsor, there's any, like, let me know what we we can do to help. And I appreciate that, even if it's just the kind of thing a congressperson says to a person in their office. It was still, yeah. it was nice to hear, you know. And when I spoke to the staffers for the other senators, some of them were much more like actually most of them were pretty on top of it like mm. obviously Manson's office this is kind of like the the one thing he's cool about right, right. so they they were very very much up to date so were Fetterman so was Bernie's um and it was it was nice to see that they were paying attention it seems like the right now the biggest asks that were coming from from advoca- advocates and uh, folks have been doing this work way longer because of course I reached out and asked them before I went like what what do you want to see like I just kind of lucked into this opportunity what should I say as the messenger for you and your hard work mm. and the silica rule is huge and also uh, folks are really trying to see the confirmation of Moshi Marvit to uh, who is this really fantastic um, lawyer from Pittsburgh he's he's a good guy and workers advocate they're trying to get him uh, confirmed to I think it's the Federal Mine Safety Board I might be mm-hmm. butchering the title but something something of that nature to keep an eye on this right, right. to to see yeah he it's a good place for a good he's a good person to be in that place and his nomination the uh he was nominated like a year ago and the Republicans have been blocking it because he's the he likes work because he's a good so, person yeah <laughs> yeah essentially that's the problem so one of the asks was to try and convince these the the electeds to kind of move to a floor vote and try and get all the democrats to at least confirm him to that mm. and that was it seemed pretty productive it was cool to um i guess just run around the capitol unsupervised and talk to people about this issue and actually a couple of the mansion staffers that i met are coming down to west virginia next week to to the hearings to see what's going on he hadn't uh they hadn't known about it so i got to tell them like you should you should go to that probably which is kind of wild like but you know everyone gets their news from different sources people get a lot of emails sure whatever um but all that to say like we're in this public comment portion i know the umwa had changes they had wanted to see implemented in the rule i know they have opinions and thoughts about it and i'm sure the black lung 
well, the, the victims and the advocates, like I'm sure there's more that they want to see too. And I'm really excited to go down to West Virginia and hear from them directly. I'm going to be writing about that for in these times and uh, probably just, just weeping the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> I get so emotional about, about my boys. <laughs> um, but uh, all that to say, yeah, it's, it seems like things are in a better place than in, in terms of getting stuff done they're in a better place than they have been for quite a long time. It's really unfortunate that we're also in such a worse place in terms of the health risks and the amount of people who are, who are getting sick. Uh, it's almost like, you know, we knew about the risks of silica in the 70s. Uh, and it's 2023 and we're finally getting to a point where we might cut it down to, you know, 50 micrograms per, for, of exposure. Uh, personally, I would like to see zero. I think right. that is a good thing to aim for. But if it took us, what, 30 years to get to 50, like, okay, right. I guess that is the, the glacial pace of uh, government bureaucracy. And also dealing with all these lobbying interests and dealing with different people being in charge of different departments. Like I, I after speaking to people and, and kind of taking that in, I can see why things take so long. I don't understand or agree that it is uh, reasonable for things to take that long, but I can see why why it takes a while to get stuff done. But thankfully, it seems like we're at a point where some stuff might get done, and that is that is a, that is a bright spot in this whole awful crisis. Yep. Well, we really appreciate uh, all the work that you're doing to bring light to this issue. It's really important. We appreciate you taking the time this morning to talk to us. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to uh, to say about this, or, or any plugs that you wanted to make before we let you go? Oh, so anybody can make a public comment. Um, you may have to do a little bit of Googling, but you can go in and you can write your comment and write something in support of passing this rule. You can, uh, especially if you live in one of the impacted states or in a state where coal production is a thing, because there's a bunch of them, you could reach out to your elected officials and just kind of hammer home like, hey, this matters. People are watching. We want you to do this. You know, it, it seems like sometimes people listen especially when it comes to something like this, because it is such a light lift. And so it's even the kind of thing that could be bipartisan. Like nobody right. wants coal miners to die. Nobody wants this to be happening. It's just this unfortunate side effect of this rampant corporate and coal boss greed. And that's the whole, yeah, I'm sure if you're in a Republican state, good luck. Mm -hmm. But also you never, you never freaking know, right? Like this right. is like, Coal miners are one of those, they shouldn't be an issue, but coal miners as a concept are one of those issues that kind of transcends a lot of different barriers uh, culturally and politically that we're, we're taught are very static. So you can do that. You can try and help. Um, every, the, the, more, the more they know that people are listening, the more they know people care, the better the chances that they're going to pass something good. So that's something you could do. It take, could take like five minutes. And just um, yeah, keep keep paying attention. I'm gonna keep writing about this. I think I'm gonna be doing kind of like a whole little series of interviews uh, with the folks down there that I talk to, just to kind of keep things going and get their voices out there because, like, I always think of myself as a as a human microphone stand, right? Right. Like, we want to hear from them, which is something that I think you guys understand very deeply. So yeah. all that to say, that's what I'm working on, and then. 
if if you wanted to pick up or pre-order a copy of my book, I wouldn't I wouldn't be upset about it. There is a section about black lung activism in the 60s. Um, there there was yeah, black lung has been a problem for a long time. In the 60s, there, there were all these wildcat strikes and all this mm. like all this union drama. Like there's it's it's such a huge story. I feel like I could write about it forever. But yeah. for now, we're focusing on eyes on the prize, this rule. And what's going to happen in Beckley, West Virginia next week. Kim Kelly, thanks for your time. Uh, Like she said, uh, pre-order her book in paperback and buy her shirt. You can go to her Twitter page, (laughs) at Grim Kim. It is her pinned tweet. I'm going to show y'all one more time, the people on the that are watching us on YouTube. It's really cool. Uh, Union made in Philly. Yes, absolutely. Um, Thanks so much for your time, Kim. We really appreciate it. And just keep up the good work. Keep shedding light on these stories and, and, you know, getting workers' voices out there. It really means a lot. Well, I'm right back at you. Kidding me? Well, thank you. Thank (laughs) you, Kim. Appreciate you. All right. I'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you. Bye. All right, folks, we're going to go ahead and head to a break, and we will be right back with Last Week in Southern Labor. In Alabama, more than 200,000 of our friends and neighbors are living without health care coverage. Often folks can't stay healthy enough to keep their jobs. We need to fix this. Let's close the health care coverage gap. To learn more, visit CoverAlabama.org. Support for this program also comes from the Ironworkers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, Or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need ironworkers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Ironworkers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. The Laborers International Union of North America, Local 366, is proudly recruiting North Alabama workers to work construction and nuclear plant maintenance. If you're interested, please contact Donna 
at their training center to start the process. That phone number is 256-415-7452. Again, that phone number is 256-415-7452. No experience is needed. Free training is offered, but you must be able to pass a background check and a drug test. Local hiring that grows our community with good paying jobs that have benefits is their mission. Live better, work union, local 366, feel the power. Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. I'm attorney Tommy Senior. When you've been injured and need help, you need a lawyer who's with you. Senior'd Law. You need attorneys always available to take care of you. Senior'd Law. And keep you in the loop. It's your case. You need to know what's happening. Senior'd Law. And never a charge to meet with us to evaluate your case. Senior'd Law. A new firm, but an old name. One that will stay with you every step of the way. Senior'd Law. The name with proven results. Do you work in an auto manufacturing plant? Are you tired of taking pride in your work without getting the respect you deserve? Consider joining the fight to unionize. Auto workers across the industry are coming together because with a union, we can negotiate for the pay, benefits, and security that we deserve and can help sustain our families. In union plants, workers bargain for long-term wage increases, competitive bonuses, and more affordable benefits. You can join the growing wave of organizing today. Find out more and contact us at Uniting Auto Workers on Facebook or contact UAW Region 8 in Lebanon, Tennessee by going to www.uawregion8.net. That's www.uawregion, the number eight, dot N-E-T. A better future is ours. only Union Talk Radio show. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morris and my co-host is Adam Keller. We just wrapped up a conversation with freelance labor reporter Kim Kelly about the rise of black lung in Appalachia. Check it out. If you missed it, you can find it on our YouTube channel and it'll also be up as a clip later and as a podcast on Tuesday. Uh, really and great. Yeah, oh. I just want to remind folks that uh, her book Fight Like Hell is coming out on paperback. If you missed it on hard, you know, the hardback cover, uh, definitely check out Fight Like Hell. It's a great book. Lots of cool history in it. Uh, great writing. Yeah. Definitely check it out. If, if you're a fan of this show you'll, and you haven't read that book, you definitely should. Great response to it in the chat. Appreciate it. Michael McCoy, uh, whose family is all UMWA, um, DL Cindero, Infinite Content Vex. Thank y'all for yeah, your absolutely. compliments. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it. Uh, we're going to wrap up the show today with Last Week in Southern Labor. Every week, 
across the country, but even here in the South, which is only a surprise if you don't watch this channel, uh, workers are filing for union elections, workers are doing things in their unions, workers are fighting the boss, and workers are winning every week, and so we want to bring you a report every week about what they're doing. And with that, let's jump into new election filings for last week, the week ending on... When did we end this data collection? On the 5th of August? On the 4th of August? Yeah. The, through the 4th of August, the week ending in, on Friday, August the 4th. 28 workers, full and part-time, at Rainbow Blossom Grocery Store in Louisville, Kentucky, filed for a union election on the 2nd of August with the United Food and Commercial Workers Union Local 227. Four workers at the Tennessee Democratic Party filed for a union election on the 2nd of August with the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers Local 429. Interestingly, the new executive director of the Alabama Democratic Party organized with the IBEW as well when he worked on the Joe Biden and Mark Kelly campaigns in 2020. So, I don't know. Maybe we'll see that in here. I don't know. About a dozen workers at Papa John's in Houston, Texas, filed for a union election on the 1st of August with the General Service Union. Haven't been able to find anything about them online. 25 workers at Transit Management of Alexandria in Alexandria, Virginia, filed for a union election on the 1st of August with the, international, or with the Amalgamated Transit Union Local 689. 130 workers at Transdev in Arlington, Virginia, filed for a union election on the 1st of August with the same union, ATU Local 689. Shout out, ATU. 12 workers at Coca-Cola Southwest Beverage in Okmulgee, Oklahoma, filed for a union election on the 1st of August with the International Brotherhood of Teamsters Local 68, uh, Local 886. 17 workers at Southwest Key Programs in El Paso, Texas, filed for a union election on the 1st of August with the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 351. 200 workers at AM Fuel in Magolia, Arkansas filed for a union election on the 31st of July with the United Steelworkers Local 607L. Four workers at Champion Enterprises in Liberty, North Carolina filed for a union election on the 28th of July with the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, District Lodge 75. In election results, 15 workers at Boyd Company in Nitro, West Virginia, voted against unionization 10 to 1 with the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 132. Workers at the Omni Shoreham Hotel in D.C. voted in favor of unionization 3-0 with Unite Here, Local 25. 44 workers at Windstream Services in Sugarland, Texas voted against unionization in a tie. 21-21 with the Communication Workers of America. Windstream in this campaign used the notorious union-busting law firm Jackson Lewis. 25 workers at Starbucks in Bartonville, Texas, voted in favor of unionization 14-7 to 7, with the Starbucks Workers United. 11 workers at President Lincoln's Cottage in D.C. voted in favor of unionization 9-0 to 0, with the United Auto Workers. 13 workers at Birmingham Rail and Locomotive Company in Birmingham, Alabama, voted against unionization 4-7 to 7, with the International Brotherhood of Boilermakers. 18 workers at USA Truck in... West Memphis, Arkansas, voted in favor of unionization 14-3 with the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, Local 667. 24 workers at Starbucks in Bradenton, Florida, voted against unionization 7-9 with one challenged ballot with Starbucks Workers United. Six workers at the American Civil Liberties Union voted against unionization 2-2 in... That was in Mississippi. Uh, Mississippi with the Washington Baltimore Newspaper Guild, Local 32035. 
230 workers at the Keymore's Company in Fayetteville, North Carolina, voted against unionization 73 to 119 with 26 challenged ballots with the Laborers International Union of North America, Local 919. And finally, six workers at the Cahoma Opportunities Pre-K Center in Clarksdale, Mississippi, voted in favor of unionization with the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, Local 667, unanimously. Yeah, really excited about that last one. That was really cool. Uh, and strikes and bargaining, BCTGM 390G, they are still on strike. They have been on strike since June 4th against International Flavors and Fragrances in Memphis, Tennessee. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, IBEW 1464, are still on strike against Wabtec since October of last year in Kansas City, Missouri. United Food and Commercial Workers, UFCW 655, are still on strike against Shangri-La Marijuana Dispensary. That's been going on since May, and that is in Columbia, Missouri. Coffee Workers of the South, UFCW 1995, have been on strike against Three Brothers Coffee in Nashville since June 13th. And also wanted to mention that the Teamsters Amazon strike did expand to the Atlanta area uh, with a warehouse, Atlanta 6. So wanted to mention that as well, according to a recent release from the Teamsters. Very cool stuff there. In politics and legislation, the Alabama Democratic Party vice chair for labor commented on a recent executive board meeting saying, yesterday we had an executive board meeting. The reports coming out of the meeting are unfortunately true. The reports being that the chair told the vice chair, the chair Randy Kelly told the vice chair Tabitha Isner, you be quiet, girl, when she was commenting on uh, some things going on in the meeting. Uh, members of the public were also kicked out of the meeting. People were prohibited from recording. In terms of business, says Bradley Turner, vice chair for labor for the Alabama Democratic Party, we have hired Tom Gitz, uh, Tom Myro as executive director and Sheena Gamble as communication director. Both are highly qualified for the job. So we'll see what happens there. He ends, just know that while we clearly have problems, we are working to build infrastructure for a functional party regardless of who holds the gavel. So we'll see what happens there. In internal union affairs, international president of the United Mine Workers, Cecil Roberts, uh, is is re-elected unanimously along with uh, Secretary-Treasurer Brian Sanson. CWA uh, earlier this summer had their international elections and elected Claude Cummings as president of the International Union. If we missed anything, let us know. And with that, we're going to go ahead and head into overtime. We appreciate everybody listening. Find us on YouTube and Facebook to continue listening for another hour and a half. Otherwise, we'll see you next week.